So we saw this news story and thought, this act would be the perfect thing to talk about on the show. But when we looked around, we found this post by this one woman, a bunch of articles saying how sunning your perineum is a bad idea because of sun cancer and exercise can also give you energy and stuff. And then we read your post. Wow, we thought, Josh Brolin, he's done this and maybe we can talk to him about it. And that's why we wanted to ask you, Josh Brolin, to come on our show and talk with us about your unfortunate incident. Good? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It may seem odd to be asking someone like you, Josh Brolin, to talk about a sensitive and private area of your body in front of everyone. And we get that, Josh Brolin. We really do. But honestly, you did it first on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and everyone has one. We know we do, and you do, and your wife does, and so does your stepmother. We wouldn't ask about her, by the way, even though we would really want to. Like, do you ever walk through our house singing, Stepmama, can you hear me? But you're your own person, Josh Brolin. We've done... You've done stuff. And after we've talked about your perineum for a while, we could talk about that other stuff. You're great in an inherent vice, Josh Brolin, and in true grit. We also saw Jonah Hex on opening day in the movie theater. In all honesty, it wasn't because you were in it, Josh Brolin, which you definitely were, but because a friend had worked on it, we wanted to support him. Okay, I'm all for your like name dropping of knowing people because I think it's fun when you do that. But I feel <laughs> like we shouldn't tell Josh Brolin we didn't see his movie because we didn't want to see him. Well, we, no, it wasn't saying we didn't want to see it because it was him. It was just well. That's like, what it sounds like. We didn't see it because he was in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we gotta, I'll, we gotta okay. fix that. I was just trying and to do, be honest with him. You know. I know. Well, if we say I, we saw Jonah Hex on opening day in a movie theater and paid ten bucks for it, is he going to be like, "Well, these people are super fans. This is weird," or are we say like, "Look, cards on the table. You weren't the reason. Like, we did go, but you also weren't the reason. We were like, I'm not seeing that." Right. We just have to quantify, like, just be a little clearer. We'll get to it. All right. I'll take it. And are okay. we are we being weird that we totally left out No Country for Old Men? I think it comes up later. Oh, it does? Okay. I believe so. I don't do good. Well, okay. Keep going. What? what? Nope. No, there. you brought it up. We no, because it's not till the very end anyway. Okay. Okay. But we won't talk. Are you ready now? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. But we won't talk about Jonah Hex if you don't want to, Josh Brolin. That's fine. We could talk about other things like W and the Avengers movies, even though we think you're a better actor than that. But, you know, everybody has bills to pay. and You don't come to our job and make fun of how we're packing the groceries. So we guess this is why we're writing you, Josh Brolin. We'd like you to come on to our dumb show and talk about what you learned while you were sunning your perineum. Maybe you're talking about your unfortunate tragedy will be a warning for others so they don't have to spend important moments with their families sitting on one of those donut pillows. Did you use one of those, Josh Brolin? It might have helped with the pain associated with sitting. This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. Will you come on our show, Josh Brolin? Will you? We can do the interview remotely, so you can just talk to us from your home, and you don't have to go anywhere and sit in the studio or anything. You could even stand if you wanted to. But we're getting off track again, Josh Brolin. Would you come onto our show and talk about burning your perineum and how you've recovered and if you've learned anything through the process? It'd be interesting for our listeners to learn from your mistake. And really, when you get down to the bottom of it all, that, that wasn't a pun, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and really, when you get down to the bottom of it all, Josh Brolin, isn't that the best we can do for each other? Just lend a helping hand whenever necessary? In case you think we're insane and standing out, outside your house right now, which we aren't, we're in states far away from you. And you want to listen to our show for yourself and decide, our website is whythepodcast.com. You can listen to old episodes and see if you'd like to join us. We really wish you would, Josh Brolin. It would be fun.
promise. And if it isn't, you have a really great story for the next time you go on Jimmy Fallon or Conan or any of those shows, and you can talk about dealing with these two a-holes and their stupid podcast. That's got to be worth something, right, Josh Brolin? Thanks for reading this far and considering this. And if it's not you reading this, Josh Brolin, and your assistant is reading it before handing it off to you, hi, Josh Brolin's assistant. Thank you for reading this letter, and thanks for doing such a great job in helping Josh Brolin get things done. We see you. Toodles. I like it. Okay. But we didn't mention No Country for Old Men or Goonies, which are my two. Okay. So maybe you we gotta take pick out... one. Okay. Well, let's maybe we take out the reference to W, right? Yeah. I mean, I loved him in W, but yes, I'd rather have No Country. Well, and I, I didn't love W, but that's neither here. Nor... I loved him in W, is what I said. Uh, okay. All right. Um, but he did a very good job. All right. So we just fix that, and then. Uh... Get a stamp out and send this off. Do we need Sam to make letterhead? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. From the desk of. <laughs> mm-hmm. <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh, it has to be from the desk of. <laughs> Is it from the desk of why the podcast or from the desk of Heidi, Luke, and Flash? Luke, oh, Heidi, I don't know. From I the desk know. of Flash? Or but if Josh Brolin with no answer, just from the desk I don't know because if Josh Brolin hasn't listened to the show, which we don't know that he hasn't, but probably has not. True. I mean, if if our numbers saying that he probably hasn't met us hold true, mm-hmm. the chances that he's listened to the show it's not true. great. But if he is true. like driving down the Pacific Coast Highway some afternoon and he is listening, hi Josh mm-hmm. Brolin, thank you for listening, and more importantly, thank you for telling a friend. So how do you, I'm assuming you like flying? You know, it's, it's, I, I have flown my whole life. I actually uh, grew up um, living overseas primarily. So I was born in the U.S., um, but I grew up in London and Indonesia because of the academic work that my mom was doing during my childhood. So I grew up making long haul flights. So for me, getting on a plane was kind of like getting on a school bus in a lot of ways. Uh, it was no big deal. And my mother often said with relief that we were good flyers. And I didn't really understand that until I was older. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's lucky. (laughs) We were good at that. Um, And uh, so I'm very used to flying. Once I became an adult and kind of understood the logistics of how airplanes work, and really once I started driving a car, like once I got my driver's license, I had a little bit of anxiety on planes. I no longer have anxiety on planes because of the flight attendant training that I've had. Because if there is a problem, I know how to solve it. Well, that's reassuring. Was this, yeah. how, how did you get into the, the field? How did you, what made you think, oh, let's give this a shot? My entire professional background um, was in politics, nonprofit work, and events. And I was working the 2014 election cycle as a field organizer. And I was getting pretty burned out. I was 24 and I was like, oof, 24 is too early to be burnt out on anything, you know, (laughs) let alone like civic duty. So um, I had a friend who was a flight attendant and she said, hey, you know, the airlines are starting to hire again because 
this was really the first time that they'd had a big wave of hiring, like 2012, 2013, 2014. It was the first big wave of hiring for uh, airlines in the United States since pre 9-11. So she said, look, I love my job. It's great. Have you ever thought about being a flight attendant? And I said, no, no, I have not. Um, in high school, I joked that if my life went off the rails, I would become a flight attendant. Um, and so I applied to be a flight attendant and <laughs> it ended up being like the best choice that I had ever made. And I truly, I applied on a whim in the midst of a crazy campaign cycle. And I figured, oh, you know, if I get it, I'll go fly for a year or two. And then I'll, you know, come back to, to working in politics for the 2016 cycle. Um, little did I know um, it was so much more than what I thought it was. And 2016 was not that awesome. So, yeah. Well, I ended up one. running in 2016, which was extra terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, but so I was like, take the trauma of 2016 and then make it hyper personal. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. It was, yeah, no, no, not, yeah. Not a good experience, but, but I mean, a valuable experience nonetheless. So do you fly the same route all the time or do you get to change it up? I get asked this all the time. Sorry. I don't know who started this rumor that flight attendants fly the same route, but I would like to meet them and smack them about. No, it's really, <laughs> it is a, People ask all the time if we fly the same routes, and the short answer is no. The long answer is a little more complicated. So in theory, once you've achieved a certain level of seniority, if you only like flying a certain route and your seniority can bid for and hold that route, then yes, you will always fly the same route. Um, if you are not senior enough to um, hold those trips and get the exact schedule that you want, who could say? Um, in my case, I'm very junior. I've only been doing this for four years, but especially that first year, you know, you are on call every month. You have a set number of days off and then you are on call and available to be sent somewhere by the company you work for. And it could be Milwaukee. It could be Paris. You just have no idea. Um, so you get really good at being flexible. How much heads up do they give you? So the company that I work for, we have the minimum call out time of two hours. So from the time wow. you are talking to the crew scheduling on the phone to the time you are at the gate can be as little as two hours. Um, so when you are on call and available, you need to be within a reasonable distance of the airport um, that you are based at. Now, not every person lives in the base that they are assigned. So I would actually say maybe even the majority of flight attendants and pilots live um, not in their base. So for example, I'm based in Philadelphia. For my first few years as a flight attendant, I was still living in Vermont um, and then commuting down on the plane to come to be on call in Philly. So you would spend your call time hanging out in Philly just in case you got Exactly. Exactly. And I got a, I got an apartment with um, three other women from my flight attendant class. We all graduated together. We all got an apartment um, and we would just hang out and wait for the phone to ring. And, you know, there are a lot of people are familiar with the concept of crash pads, right? So they're 
apartments or condos or houses where you might have a lot of different people who work in aviation who are kind of moving in and out. And there are two main types. There are cold bed um, crash pads and hot bed crash pads. Cold bed means you have your own bed um, and your sheets stay on that bed and you might have some toiletries that you keep on your bed there. Um, and a hot bed crash pad is when you have a cubby and your sheets are in that cubby. And when you go to the crash pad, you take your sheets out of the cubby or the locker or whatever. You make your bed, you sleep on it. When you're, you get up the next morning or you get a call from scheduling, you pack up all your sheets and blankets, you put them back in your locker and you carry on your merry way. Um, and, and my friends from my class and I determined that we did not want to be in a hotbed crash pad situation. Um, (laughs) the job was stressful enough. (laughs) We didn't want to deal with people and having to make beds all the time. Um, so, so we got together, we got an apartment and it was honestly really kind of like sorority like, um, because we were all new. We had no idea what we were doing. We were all living in constant panic that our phone was about to ring. Um, I made the simultaneously smart and stupid decision of uh, setting my crew scheduling ringtone on my phone to be the theme from the TV show Archer. Um, <laughs> because I always felt like I was being sent on missions when they would call yes. me. And, and that's great in that, um, you know, it's a very specific ringtone, so I didn't get it confused with anybody else. It is terrible in that I can no longer watch the opening credits of Archer mm. because I start having a panic attack. Yeah. So, yeah. Lots of emotions. I'm exhausted after an hour in a plane. How many hours do you spend in flight on a regular workday? I would say in flight on average could be anywhere from five hours to nine hours on average. We can be scheduled um, up to... I think it's like 10 plus hours on the plane every day. If I had my contract out, I could refer to it. But like, is that actual flight time? time or is that from when you walk on board and start to just check that everything is kosher and ready to go for passengers? Oh, that's just flight time. Yeah, no, that's just flight time. We actually don't get paid when the door of the aircraft is open. Um, so, so you really hate those boarding? people who come racing down the jetway at the last second. Right. Well, honestly, I don't hate those people as much as I hate yes. when people get on the plane with their rolling bags and they put their bag over row four when they are sitting in row 20 because they are convinced that there is no space at row 20 when there's tons of space at row 20 and they have just now selfishly potentially forced somebody else into checking their bag because they didn't feel like waiting for four minutes to go walk back three rows and collect their bag from that overhead bin. Or the people who get possessive about the overhead bin space above their seat. Mm. Don't even get me started. The overhead <laughs> bin is not your space. The aisle is not your space. Stay out of the aisle. Stay out of the aisle. Just just get out of the aisle. It's not your space. It's my space. It's my or my office. Stay out of that aisle, please. Um, it's uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had to rush to deal with a medical emergency only to trip on people's feet in the aisle. Mm. I mean, it's, it's incredibly dangerous. Um, but yeah, we don't get, we don't get paid when the door is open, which is uh, a point of yeah. frustration for me. That's, that's a nice word <laughs> It for would it. be. Yeah. I, I like being paid to do my job. Yeah. Um, it's, 
not super fun that I don't get paid for huge portions of my work. Day. Yeah, it helps with morale. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that's not too. the best part of the gig at all. No, um, it's also not the worst part. So that's that's good too. <laughs> so what is the worst part? The vomit. Oh, it's the vomit. Do people there's just there's vomit? Yeah, there's there's a lot of puking on planes. Um, and yeah, it gets weird. My one of my one of my favorite vomit stories was I had this this poor woman. She was traveling with um uh her I, I later learned her boyfriend. They were traveling together and we were flying from Philadelphia to Seattle and a, and it's like a five hour flight and about halfway through she projectile vomited oh. all over herself, the seat in front of her, her boyfriend. It was acute and terrible food poisoning. Like this poor woman. Oh. I mean, it was, it was awful. And her, her boyfriend was so very calm and he was so helpful and it, it was great. And we were taking care of her and getting her water and, you know, all the different things that we can do and seeing if she need medical attention, et cetera, et cetera. And I was expecting the people seated near her to be like, oh, this is terrible. Get me out of here. It smells like puke. Ah. But instead we had people offering her clothing from their suitcase, like literally offering her their personal clothing so that she did not have to sit in her clothing that had vomit on it. Um, and I, I asked her boyfriend, I was like, wow, what do you do? You were so calm. Like, are you an EMT? And he's like, well, I'm a private investigator. And I was like, ah, steady hand then. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I found out towards the end of the flight that they were actually on their way to Seattle so that she could meet his parents for the first time. Oh, no. Like, so terrible. I mean, I felt so, so awful for her, but people were, were actually wonderful um, around her on the plane. And they were so very kind. And it is nice that puke brings people a little bit closer. It's nice to have her positive no, thing about it. It's it, not not all the time <laughs> does, does puke create magical airline friendships, but but sometimes, and that's the thing that I am constantly amazed by as a flight attendant is you get to see people at their absolute best and their absolute worst because if they are on a plane. They are either traveling because something terrible has happened, because something wonderful has happened, or they're like a business traveler and whatever. Um, but most of the people who are on the planes are traveling because it is either the best or worst day of their lives. And to be able to be a part of that experience for someone is really neat, um, especially when it's people who are on the negative end of the spectrum of experiences, whether they've just lost a loved one, whether, you know they're dealing with an incredibly challenging situation or a life transition. It's really neat to be able to be in this space with them while they're going through that. Does it restore or destroy your faith in humanity? What you've seen the way people act on an airplane? Um, I think I have never lost faith in humanity. My last name is bright. Like I have yeah, to be optimistic. Okay. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, so, so I haven't necessarily lost faith in humanity. I am pleasantly surprised by how often I see people being wonderful or just doing something really tiny to help a stranger, like helping someone lift their bag, um, like helping some family by swapping your seat, you know, to let kids sit with parents, like these tiny, tiny moments um, that are really big in the spectrum of someone's life if they're going through something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it might, it might not make a, a 
a big impact on you when you do something to help someone in such a small way, uh, but it might make a big impact on them. The One of the moments that I always think of is uh, a few months ago, I had a flight and we were going somewhere in Florida. I don't really remember where because we go to a lot of Florida. I spent a lot of time flying in and out of Florida and we were on our way to Florida and the Wi-Fi wasn't working on this plane. And I had, I was working in first class and I had this guy up in first class who, you know, was asking me about the Wi-Fi like every 10 minutes. He was being polite about it, but it was really obnoxious. And I don't know if you know this, but flight attendants aren't actually tech support experts. Mm. Um, That is the thing that just amazes me in this job all the time is that people simultaneously think that your flight attendant is an absolute idiot and omnipotent at the same time. (laughs) I am am obviously both a moron and all powerful. (laughs) It's, It's a very impressive and confusing situation which comes back to gender discrimination and devaluing predominantly female workspaces but that's another story um but i had this guy who would not stop asking about the wi-fi i was like okay sir so then we start having a medical situation um about halfway through the main cabin and the flight attendants and i are dealing with it because i'm in first class i'm staying up front i'm monitoring that situation we see if there's any you know medical personnel on board now if we're looking for medical personnel, my perfect situation is I want an ER doc, a combat medic, a, uh, I want a paramedic, right. or I want an EMT. I don't want a general practitioner unless there's something specific. I don't want a surgeon. They are not as helpful as one might think hmm. uh, in most medical situations on planes. So we're getting medical attention. And I've got a guy up front who happens to be um, a, a neurosurgeon. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, this is good. So there's a specific medical kit that we can only open on board um, with a doctor's permission. So he he gives us authorization. We open the, the kit. They're they're dealing with it back there, and and I am in touch with the captain, letting him know like, hey, we need the EMTs and paramedics to to come meet the plane when we land. This woman can't breathe. We're dealing with the medical situation. It's being handled. In the middle of this, <laughs> the guy who was asking about the Wi-Fi asks me again oh, if yeah. the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Moving on, and I, I mean, I was I was ready to lose it because like that's annoying anyway. And I'm like, but we've been making announcements calling for doctors. You've seen me running around with a stethoscope. Ugh. Like, what are you doing? And I'm not saying any of this, but I think my like gritted teeth smile is saying this, and the rage in my eyes is clearly articulating this. And and he was like, you know, am I going to be able to get off the plane when we get there? And I said, well, you know, the the medics are meeting the aircraft when we land. So we need everyone to stay seated. And I'd made this announcement to the whole aircraft. Everyone needs to stay seated. The, the paramedics are going to come on board when we get there. And he said, I am so sorry that I keep asking about the Wi-Fi and that I've been asking about this. Shortly before we took off, my 10-year-old son was being airlifted to the hospital. And I'm trying to get on the Wi-Fi to get in touch with my wife to see what's happening and to see if he's okay. And I was like, ooh. I feel like the biggest jerk in the world (laughs) because I'm just annoyed that this guy won't stop asking me about the internet. And he is terrified that his child is in a life or death situation on a helicopter being airlifted to a hospital. And I was like, I am a terrible person. So I, I got in touch with the captain and I was like, listen, I've got this guy up front. Once the paramedics get past his row and go handle the situation in the main cabin, can he please get off? His son is being airlifted to the hospital. The captain's like, yep, absolutely no problem. So I like 
I organized this like I was like Mikhail Baryshnikov. This was a beautiful ballet where I was organizing this first class passenger, the neurosurgeon, the paramedics, the flight attendants dealing with the woman in the back who was having chest pains and couldn't breathe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and it was one of those moments where I was like, you know, that is just a normal day at work for me. And hopefully his son was okay. Hopefully everything worked out, but you know, I got to have an impact in that moment at a very trying experience for him. So, well, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to that whole thing where you know, my wife always says like, you have no idea what anyone else is going through. So try to be nice, even if they are not. And that just sort of so true. drives that home. So true. Is there, yeah, your wife's a smart woman. Yeah. Yeah. Yet she's still here. I don't get that. Um, <laughs> Is there any particular type of passenger that you see get on the flight and you just go, this is going to be a handful? Oh, yeah. Especially if they've been drinking. Um, Mickey Mouse t-shirt actually... and drinking or just is another? Well, I, well. Which so level of Dante's Inferno are we talking? <laughs> right, right. How close to uh, the seventh level of hell yeah. are you going to go? Just in purgatory or are you going to continue? Hang a right at um, sticks yeah. and then... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's find out where we end up. Right. Um, so, so the the ones that I find really challenging are the people who come on wearing explicitly offensive clothing, and this is so challenging for me personally because, you know, I think everyone should wear whatever they want to to express themselves. You know, but where I have to draw the line is we are going to be trapped on a metal tube. We're going to be trapped on a metal tube for multiple hours. I am the only police force we have up here. And if something goes awry between this passenger wearing this t-shirt that has the F word and various other explicit and insulting phrases on it. See, Heidi, I told you about this. (laughs) He warned me not to wear it. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks. Here we are. (laughs) Darn it. Um, But, you know, and, and drawing that line with like literally policing people's clothing. Like I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. When I went to flight attendant training, I signed up to fight fires and to evacuate you in an emergency. I did not realize I was signing up for, policing inappropriate clothing and it's not like like inappropriate it's like deeply offensive right like will this article of clothing potentially instigate violence right or such deep discomfort that i am going to have someone have a panic attack or you know that someone else is going to feel unsafe um and those i just i'm like no please stop this don't let it happen um especially because in theory the gate agents are supposed to have handled that before they get to us similarly drunk people who are very drunk and they are allowed to get on the plane because maybe in the split second when they're looking at their ticket the agent doesn't notice that they're intoxicated. Doesn't talk um, maybe to them. They haven't been... Right, As exactly. On. Yeah. yeah. Or they haven't been wandering around the gate agent area, like throwing things around. But I've had a few situations where I've had to uh, let the captain know that we needed to have a specific person removed before takeoff. Um, primarily because once we get up in the air, there is only so much we can do if you are ill or if you are belligerent. Um, 
I do have duct tape to tape people to seats if I need to, but I would prefer not to. It involves a lot of paperwork. That's what you'd have to do if someone gets Well, unruly. we might have to use the handcuffs. We have handcuffs on board. Um, huh. we, have, we have various restraint approaches that we can take. Um, there is almost always someone with law enforcement or military experience who we can call on to help us. Hmm. Um, and I would say about 85% of the time, I am keenly aware of exactly who those people are. Um, when, when you board a plane and I say, Hey there, good morning. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. What I'm doing is looking at your hair, your clothes, your accessories, determining whether you're going to be a problem or whether I could help have you help me solve a problem if one occurs. Um, I've had some flights where, I have a whole bunch of kids who have just finished basic training. Um, and I'm like, yes, if there's a plane where there's an emergency, let it be this one today because they are going to take orders. Like, it's, <laughs> they're going to know what to do. It's, uh, they are going to listen and they're going to go down the slide the way I tell them to. And they're going to like help the people the way I tell them to. And yes, these are the people I want on my plane. What's the worst drink somebody can order on a flight where you are just like, it's driving me nuts to have to make this thing you're probably gonna have more than one of these i've got a plane full of people tomato looking juice. for a diet coke and here we are tomato juice truly it's disgusting <laughs> i don't like tomatoes it every time i pour a tomato juice i'm like well it smells like goulash and that's terrible <laughs> um, it's it is awful bloody mary mix is better than tomato juice that's just my personal preference right overall i would say if you order a Diet Coke or Coke Zero, your flight attendant secretly wants to light you on fire, but won't because, again, paperwork. Um, and it's truly so the the aspartame in diet sodas combined with the altitude and then the temperature of the ice makes that that soda foam like ten times longer than anything else that we serve. Fascinating. So, so much longer to give everyone their drinks because everyone wants a diet coke and you've just asked for three diet cokes and oh my god now your row is going to take 15 minutes why is this happening you know it's it's uh everybody has their personal preferences i actually don't mind when people will ask for like cranberry juice with some ginger ale in there i'm like that's tasty i like that you do you absolutely and it doesn't foam that long right so more than happy to pour it but the diet cokes the coke zero diet soda is generally problematic so but if you just ask for it in a can is that cool or is that a whole nother well so, well sometimes we don't have enough mm. so um there are some airlines where the policy is to give the can there are some flights where the policy is to give the can like so i know with the airline i work for we have um different can policies for different flight length durations or different destinations. And there are so many factors that go into play there. Um, nine times out of 10, if someone asks me for the can and it's a soda, I have a bunch of like Coke or ginger ale, Diet Coke. I'm more than happy to give them the can. However, they only give us one single can of Dr. Pepper. Mm. So if you ask for the can of Dr. Pepper, I am going to very apologetically probably turn you down because 
you have now taken all of the Dr. Pepper. Right. And and when I go back to collect that can and you haven't finished that Dr. Pepper (laughs) that you took away from the other people who wanted the Dr. Pepper, usually I jokingly say something like, well, I've only got the one can. So if there's a riot, I'm sending them right here to 26C, Um, you know, or or something along those lines. Right. But uh, yeah. Yeah. No cans. It's always cool. You can ask, but we can't always give you a can. Um, I'm just thinking more of like, how do I make things easier for the flight Mm. attendant that I'm dealing with on my flight? Ask for a cup of water with no ice, please. Thank you so much. Okay. Oh, and if you ever order coffee on a plane, please, for the love of all that is good, don't ask me for a cup of coffee. (laughs) Say, could I please have a cup of coffee with two creams and one sugar? Oh, the specificity. It mm. saves us a whole conversation. Because if you say, I'd like a cup of coffee. Oh, would you like cream and sugar? Yes. Okay. How many would you like of each of them? Mm. Like, And the worst is when people say, oh, I'd like a cup of coffee. How would you like that? Normal. Mm. <laughs> the way I had it yesterday normal? morning. <laughs> what do you think normal is? Right? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that fills me with rage. So honestly, when people do make a specific coffee or tea order... I, I literally say, thank you so much for your specificity. I really appreciate that. It is the small things. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense, though. Yeah, right? Like, just, oh, and just say please, right? Mm. People say thank you really consistently on the plane. When you hand something to someone, they consistently say thank you. It shocks me to my core how many people do not say please. It. I mean, just amazes me. And so I've tried to pay attention to what I do in other circumstances. Like, let's say you're at a drive-thru. Let's say you're ordering at a restaurant, right? And and thinking about, do I say please in those situations? Well, I'm going to consciously say please now. Um, but yeah, it's the lack of please is remarkable to me. Huh. Now I'm just going to sit here and do exactly what you said and go through my head. I know. You know what's right? weird about it is I think I say it on an airplane. I think I say it at a drive-thru, but I don't think I say it at a regular restaurant. Right? That was my observation too. I didn't say it at restaurants because when somebody is like taking an like a specific order from you, I think it is for whatever reason you're less inclined to say please because maybe you've been presented with specific options. I don't know. Again, not a psychologist. I just majored in political science, like, you know, huh. but yeah. But maybe yeah. the world would be a better place if we said please a little more. Oh, I think so. I always I say so. it to a bartender. Always. Oh, yeah. <laughs> always. Yeah. I don't say anything to a bartender. Yeah, <laughs> be honest here. <laughs> Whatever gets me first in line. <laughs> Right, and that's the thing, right? Do the same thing with your flight attendants. Shoot, if you're nice to us, oh my gosh, I will give you the moon if I can. Absolutely. Be sure to follow Why the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our YouTube channel for some additional great Why content. If you're so inclined, please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. Our intern is Randy Jeanette. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthno Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel?
Is that you? Are you here? Nigel? 